Is the chili almost ready? It's, yeah, it's done. Is it done? Mm-hmm. So we have to get this done quick. Yeah, so you can go eat. So we can go eat. Busy night here in the in the bunker. Uh, we talked to Mr. Dan Smith, uh, who is the owner of Haunted Cincinnati Tours. Uh, Dan Smith's the author of Bobby Mackey's Music World, Ghosts of Bobby Mackey's Music World. Um, and he's got over, he's a 20-year veteran in, in, in studying this stuff. You know, and a lot of us, we're getting older, we're kind of all in that in that. Yeah, we're, we can start to say over we're two saying decades. We're, we're, we're kind of veterans now. <laughs> uh, he works in the area of scientific data collection, striving to deliver a better understanding of paranormal phenomena to the public. He is the co-founder of HOPE, H-O-P-E, the HOPE Initiative, which runs a private laboratory in Cincinnati, Ohio, committed to paranormal data collection. Uh, man, this was an intense conversation we had. Yeah, I really we- wanted to talk about Bobby Mackey's Music World because uh, while I'm the owner of his book, I have not fully read it yet, but it's one of those places that I constantly hear all this crazy stuff about. Like, it's a portal to hell and demons are just crawling out of it. Yeah, you know, all that yeah, stuff like yeah. like we talked to him about. But yeah. um, So it was, it was nice to get clarification from someone who's actually put in a lot of time at at the place and, yeah. and done the right research. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, yeah, we had a lot of fun with this. It was really intense. We just kind of just jumped into it. It's one of the, it's some of those conversations, you know, every one of these is different. Uh, and this was one of those conversations, which I, you know, we always enjoy talking to everybody we have on here, but we just, we just kind of just went at it and we didn't stop. No, we didn't. And I, I mean, I don't know post if we listen to this after, cause we're, we're, we just did the show. We're recording the intro right now. Yeah, but we did talk to Dan and, about and this. And Dan yeah. said he thought he heard some voices coming through. Yeah. So I guess if you li- if you listen to the show and you think you hear something that sounds Let like... Let us know. Yeah, not Scott's, not mine, not Dan's voice come through. Uh, yeah, send us an email. Yeah, send us an email like with a time signature. And I can look. we can look a little deeper into that because I, I have all the source files, obviously, so I can pull all that stuff up. All you're listening to right now is the beautiful uh, the glory of 96K MP3. Uh, so let us know. We might do a little more research into that. But, you know, we had a really great time here. Enjoy our conversation with Dan Smith here on Ghostly Talk. wife Becca uh, at the Little Bay Parafest in Petoskey, Michigan, like two years ago. Yeah. And he was one of the guys that was speaking um, total awesome geek stuff like ITC, mm. EVP, all that great stuff. Uh, so I know we want to like pick his brain about all of that and what he's doing, but I want to ask him first about his ghost tours in Cincinnati and about the book I'm holding, Ghosts of Bobby Mackey's Music World. Because this is a place that I have heard about over and over and over, but honestly don't know a damn thing about. So, Dan, can you tell us all of me? Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. And can you tell us? Hey. uh, Yeah. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Uh, Can you tell us about Bobby Mackey's Music World, which is supposedly a place that has, like, you know, a portal to hell and demons and all kinds of great stuff flying out of it? (laughs) If I had to sum it up in one sentence, it's real. I've lived it. I'm never going back. That would be my one-sentence answer. Um, the, the so-called hype that you've heard from people uh, is true. There's something going on there above the level of a regular haunt. Uh, and, and in some cases, uh, can ruin people's lives. And I lived that for uh, 11 months um, myself. That book, you know, kind of covers some different theories um, you know, there's the legends that surround the club are, you know, interesting, but it turns out that most of them are not true. So right. when I researched the book, I was uh, fascinated to find out the true history was even scarier than, you know, uh, I mean, you couldn't make it up. 
the the kind of uh, death and destruction that's happened on that property since the 18th century is pretty astounding. And what continues to happen there today is not well understood. Um, it is a place that is known for people bringing negative, negative, I don't even know what to call it. I'm not sure if it's an entity or if it's an energy. Um, some people like to use the word demons or inhumans or whatever these things are that are there, they inherently know things about you, which is the creepiest part about it. Oh. Um, they know your deepest, darkest, um, like emotional scars and they'll play those against you. And I've never experienced anything like that place before. And gosh, I don't even know where to start. Well, <laughs> I mean, Dan, well, no, 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 you're not, you're not rambling at all. Now, what, now what I lo- would like to ask you, well, first thing I want to say, um, cause I, de- I have some questions about this. Um, but I do want to know what, what the boundary is here, too, first and foremost. I don't want to step over the line with you if I ask you a question or so. So I want you to feel free, if I ask you something, to feel free to say, hey, you know, I don't want to talk about that, man. Okay? So just so, just so you know, I, don't want, I, I want you to feel comfortable to do that. Now, you're saying, uh, you know, given that, now you're saying that these spirits or entities, they have a way of knowing your secrets. Am I correct? Yes. And I don't like to answer anything. I just, it's hard for me to try to, I can still appreciate how crazy this might sound to someone who hasn't lived it. And, um, I'm not in the, in the game of trying to sound like a, a sensationalist, but yeah. So, you know, over years, over the years there, um, I think we figured out, I used to do ghost tours through there and then overnight events also when the club was closed and we figured out it was, Somewhere around 600 hours I had been in there total when the, when the place was empty yeah. and closed. So um, I've experienced things there that I've never experienced anywhere else in uh, you know 23 years of doing this kind of work. Um, things that I've never seen before or since. Uh, visual manifestations before your eyes. Um, audible voices, music. Uh, audible voices out of thin air talking about your family or... Um, gosh, I'm trying to think of some examples. So they, they do seem to know your deepest, darkest secret. So I was doing an event there once, and this is one of the crazier things that happened. We're sitting there in this dusty old basement of this old honky tonk. Nothing's really happening for like 30 whole minutes. We're just about to take a break, you know, and have some snacks. And then in the, in the, um, stillness and the dead silence, out of thin air, this voice just, it wasn't even on the equipment. I mean, it was later on, but it appeared out of thin air around us. We were in that room. Um, they call the well room, which is not really um, a well, but uh, this voice mumbled something about Connie. There was like a name Connie or, or Constance. I can't even remember the name now. And um, then something about cancer. And we all kind of were confounded. Like, what, what is that? Who is that? What's going on? And before we could even gather ourselves, there in this otherwise empty, dusty basement, this fresh smell of gingerbread cookies just filled the room. And it smelled delicious. Um, <laughs> but we all, we all kind of were going, there were like five or six of us there. We're going, what the hell is going on here? And then um, in the darkness, I noticed one of the girls uh, in the group was, was starting to sob, openly sob and cry. And she said, my um, aunt, that's her name, and she died of, you know, cancer not long ago, and she was famous for her gingerbread cookies. That's her voice. Wow. So that's the kind of thing we have to say, like, you you know, there's probably a better way to contact you than this uh, old basement of this nightclub. Um, So they would use that to trick you. Um, Yeah, I one of the craziest things, I have one more, one of the craziest, uh, doing ghost tours through there. We used to do a, a bus tour that went to Bobby Mackey's, and the entire tour, I had this one cynical guy who was kind of heckling the whole tour along about how this is not real. Um, can I swear? 
You can. Yeah, you're, you're okay. <laughs> this, is, this is bullshit. I don't believe in this. Uh, I'm going to expose everybody here. Why are you wasting your time? I don't even know why he was. Yeah, really. I, why do people do that? Yeah. Ugh, whatever. We've seen that before. Uh, I mean, I, he, got, he got dragged along by his girlfriend or something. Okay. Oh, okay. So we get to Bobby Mackey's there, and I'm walking him through the basement, showing, telling him the history. It's just our small group there, room by room. And then um, after we finish up, we're giving them some time with the tools before we leave. And one people, one person from the group came up and said, uh, "You need to, you need to check this out. This guy from the group just ran out of the basement crying." Oh, really? I said, What's going on? So I went outside, and it's this guy. It's this cynic. <laughs> He's outside, like sitting down uh, on the ground, and I'm like, "What? What's going on, man?" He said. Um, I was just in the basement, and then the doorway to this dressing room downstairs, I swear to you, I just saw the full embodiment of my father, my dead father. And my dead father asked, how are you doing? Wow. Ooh, he was, cool. I always thought this was bullshit. I've heard about this place. And he was crying. So I went back inside and um, asked what's going on, and one other couple was there with him. And they said, we don't know what happened. We were just standing here um, talking and looking around. And then another person from the group was in the doorway and asked, how are you doing? And then he ran out. So the other couple had seen this guy and thought it was part of the group. He was so real. Uh, And I asked them to go find the guy because no one else had left the basement and they, they couldn't find him. So this couple unknowingly had witnessed the same thing that he did which was this full-bodied version, as real as you and I, of this dead guy's, uh, this guy's dead father. So, um, probably not his dead father, but that was his, his deepest emotional scar, you know? Well, and that goes back to the question I... They probably didn't realize that they saw a ghost. They thought it was a person in the group. Yeah, it yeah. Was that, that goes back to the question I, I, was, I was asking before, though, too. Because you say that, you know... These spirits are they're they're they know your secrets and things like that. Um, and I mean, I guess you may have already answered the question, but I'm curious about you know the method of communication here. It sounds like you you're hearing and seeing things right in front of your face, and, and obviously with your ears. This isn't any type of ESP thing, as far as you know, as far as I can tell. Am I correct? You're not hearing this stuff in your head, correct? No, no, that's what's so crazy. Um, no. It was definitely, if it was, it was a group hallucination because uh, there's many stories I have of entire groups of people witnessing things um, there. So it's definitely not in someone's head. I mean, (laughs) uh, these things definitely happened. Um, People wearing religious items. I remember a tour where uh, we went in the basement and my wife, Becca, we watched the entire group, watched with flashlights and recording as you know, um, her her cross necklace, a necklace with a cross on it, started lifting up off of her chest. And then um, the clasp on the back of her neck just lifted up in thin air like someone was trying to un- unlatch it. So these are not, uh, these are probably not group hallucinations. They, they really yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah. Do you think this is an inherently an evil thing that's that's inhabiting the the space i mean does it sound, is you think it's evil or just is, does it just exist what i brought home with me was the worst time of my life there was nothing positive about it um whether it's you know and i lived through it i still won't 100% say i can't say what it is i don't yeah, know yeah. um some people say demon it definitely was negative mm-hmm. um uh, lots of bad luck and um, mysterious illnesses and uh, things breaking down in the house, like TVs dying and laptops crashing and um, computers crashing. And it's definitely a negative. Yeah. Um, but is it something like demonic? I don't know that I could say that. Yeah. Yeah. Even having and having lived through, I mean, the, sm- the smell of rotting garbage and sulfur would follow me around my house. But ugh. who knows? How, how do you say that's? A demon. I, I don't know. Well, no, and I, um, I mean, I'm not, and I'm not trying to lead it to that either. I mean, it from what I'm seeing, and there's a lot of negative connotations here. Um, the reason I, I asked this is because you know we've talked about this the stuff before, and 
a lot of times, you know, with, you know, and it's all, again, you know, I stress this to the listening people who listen to our show and obviously you too, Dan, um, you know, it's all theoretical. These are just ideas, but sometimes things just exist and by existing, they don't have the same ideals or they might not even be thinking whatever this thing may be. It may not even understand or have any concept of what, you know, good and evil is in our plane of existence and our ideas. So that's what it has me kind of curious about this because, yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of bad stuff that happens around this. There's a lot of negative energy around it, too. And, uh, you know, again, there's not we're not going to come up with any answers tonight, but uh, it's it's an interesting thought to think about what actually inhabits this building. Uh, but it doesn't sound like it's anything pretty. <laughs> I'm not even sure it's the building. You know, so many people people bring it home with them. That's one of the reasons that we, I mean, I had to stop taking people there. It just got to the point where um, clergy priests were saying, you know, you're just taking bait in there. You know, you really can't control this. And we couldn't. And people were calling afterwards. Like, this is not a fun experience. Now I'm at home and my daughter's being pulled out of bed by the hair or <laughs> oh, God. Um, our cupboard opened and dishes fell out or the strangest thing. So, that's to the point where we're like, this is probably, it is really haunted, it's really negative, but it's probably not ethical for us to keep bringing, you know, bait, like, <laughs> No, I, I, I agree. But it's important, I think, for people to understand, and again, I do appreciate how crazy it sounds, um, but I think it's important to share, because um, even though it is a, certainly a rare thing to experience doing this work, it is a possibility. You said that you said there was clergy involved. That you, I guess, were you going to clergy for some type of consultation? Yeah. So a lot of time that this happened, man, uh, it was like long streaks of bad luck, and then the you know I wake up in the, at three in the morning with the sound of every dish in the kitchen coming out of the cupboards, and you run out there and nothing's out of place. Or um, the worst night I remember, it was this old house I lived in, and. Um, I look up to the, the door handle on my bedroom jiggling in this old original like 1920s door handle. And I kind of came to a little bit and my heart started pounding. Uh, and, you know, the door opened. No one's there but the moonlight. But there was times where I, at night, I would hear footsteps come across the floor. Uh, and one time even something came across the floor and sat on the bed and moved the mattress. That was pretty scary. Um, and it's at that point even when you've done this for so long, you start to really freak out because you're saying, how, what do I do? I can't see this. I don't know what it is. And even with all the training you think you know, or all the things you understand, yeah. you really feel helpless in that situation. Well, um, you, you, you can't see it. You don't know what's going on around you. I don't think there's anything, any kind of training that could prepare you for something like that. There's just nothing out no. there. So at that time, I was speaking at a conference, and I uh, happened to see a guy named Bishop James Long. Um, he's the Archbishop of the Old Catholic Church in Kentucky, and um, I talked to him about what's going on there. Um, this was before he even got involved, I think, with the um, Ghost Adventures uh, episodes there. Yeah. But um, he he said, oh, tell me what's going on. I kind of explained to him, hey, we were getting a lot of this uh, contact from this kid named Timmy. It's a little boy's voice. He says he's trapped. And then something, you know, stuff started happening at my house. And he pretty much told me, um, well, while I was talking to him inside of this expo center, this breeze came past us. Uh, it was the bishop and two other priests there. And it was strong enough to blow our hair indoors. And he looked over it with wide eyes at his priest, and I'll never forget, he said, do you smell that? It's the holy scent of chrism. And me, hmm. not knowing what's going on, I thought it was that good, someone watching over me, and at that point he said, this is very bad, tell me more. And uh, when I explained everything that was going on, he pretty much told me, what you explained to me is a demonic attachment. And if you don't do something about it, you could become, become possessed or worse. Or worse, what's that? Or uh, he said, or worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, what's worse than that? What really? is worse? Yeah, I don't know. What is worse? I mean, it's an, I, death. So, I never forget standing there looking at him, and all the hair on my neck raised, and I realized I think it was more the validation. I knew something terrible was going on, but to have someone else validate it really freaked me out. And um, 
So I got some help with him about some theological rituals, um, some cleansing techniques. At that time, I was learning about some scientific methods for cleansing as well, uh, what I was doing. But it took a whole 11 months. Um, and then one day, it just stopped. It just resolved. Um, and it was over. And all the bad luck went away. My health issues resolved overnight. And um, all the disturbances in the house went away. And me being really dumb, I guess, decided I need to take, keep taking people there. This is real. I need to ed- educate them about why this is happening. And I kept going back. And um, that's when it got to the point where other people were getting it. You know, um, it was like boys in the hood. Like, well, I'm the one that talked trash and took people there. And they're the ones that got shot, you know. <laughs> boys in the hood. Uh, well, no, after the question came in. So it got to the point, like, I just don't want to go there anymore. And I decided I never wanted to go back. I, I got kind of smart, like, I don't want to live this again. Uh, and wrote the book, exposed all the true history, which I didn't know up to that point. And then I kind of um, closed that chapter in my life when the book came out. Well, Dan, uh, what were some of the stories that you were surprised to find that were actually true and not legend about the place that maybe contribute to the weirdness that goes on there? Well, the legends, um, the major legends turned out to all be not true. So first of all, there's the Pearl Bryan murder. Uh, that I've researched extensively with historians. Um, if you've read the book, there's actually several accounts of where they actually found Pearl Bryan's head. But the whole idea was that this old slaughterhouse was on the property, lying there empty, and when this Pearl Bryan murder happened and she was decapitated, uh, they dumped the head down this old slaughterhouse um, drain or Mm. well. Mm. Now, that story is just not possible because at that time in 1896, it was an operating distillery. And I'll never forget the day I was standing in the old um, county clerk's, like the, the clerk's um, quarters there in Kentucky, going through our deed books. And I found the deed book where it said that they got permission to dig three holes in the property. And I said, what the heck? So I went back to Bobby that day and I said, are there, are there more than just, just this one hole in the basement? I said, oh yeah, there's two more back here you can't get to. And I said, all this time... All this time, we thought it was a slaughterhouse. The slaughterhouse was actually south. This was actually the site of the distillery that made whiskey, which I think is much more fitting, given the mob, you know, given the prohibition era that happened afterwards and all the mob control. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the Pearl Bryan uh, story is just just not true. It's not possible. Um, she was murdered two miles from the spot, but the idea of her head being dumped there is just not possible. It was operating as a distillery, uh, and that was one of the holes they used. Um, to, to pump water from the river under the train tracks and into the, the distillery for the distilling process. So, Paul Bryan, not true. Um, the Johanna legend about the dancer who committed suicide. Boy, I enlisted the help of a private investigator. Uh, we didn't find, uh, we found one Johanna connected to the club. Her name was Johanna Whitfield. Um, she was a daughter of a guy who ran the club uh, with mob connections but she very much did not kill herself or die at a young age. So that one we kind of discounted. Her whole suicide note that's supposedly up there above the stage that, that we've examined well was um, actually linked to an old song and not a suicide note. Huh. Huh. So these are kind of things that I, I was surprised that weren't true. Um, gosh, what else? But some of the things that really happened there, wow, no one ever found before. And like it was when they laid out the uh, area at very first in the 1700s, that was actually Virginia. Uh, and it didn't become Kentucky until Kentucky became a state. But the banks there where Bobby Mackey sits was the spot chosen on the banks of the river for the first public gallows. So we know people were executed by hanging there. Wow. Uh, that happened. Uh, we know that in the decades that follow, when it was moved to the courthouse, that area was still known as like Hangman's Hollow. Um, and there was an old town there called Finchtown, which is a ghost town now. And uh, there's old articles going back as far as like 1865 um, about hangings happening out there. Uh, I think there's an article that cited like 26. 26 lynchings in that area, one of which was legal. So 
that was happening uh, even after the Civil War. You know, when the white population was not happy about blacks being free, mm-hmm. lynchings were happening on that site, which now makes sense in hindsight. Uh, some of these voices we've got over the years of what sounds like African-American males, um, possibly from that era. Uh, the bridge collapse right there that kills 41 men no one ever found before. It happened a quarter mile from from the site. Could that be part of it? It could. Um, so there's a lot of history there, but. The distillery exploded, it burned, um, and then, you know, it became a roadside saloon where someone fell off a scaffolding and died, and then it was the Primrose Country Club where there was a fatal fist fight, and then it was, you know, the Latin Quarter, which is the mob control time. Yeah. We know for sure that there was murders that happened in the basement. Um, now, they didn't keep records of who they did that to, but um, there's, a, there's a lot of evidence that they took bodies out of there. Um and then even after that, uh, it became the Hard Rock, the Hard Rock uh, Bar, no relation to the Hard Rock Cafe. Yeah. And there were two two rival bike gangs. Oh God. So just when I was re- I was researching this book back in like 2012, and just that recently, when I started asking around, I think it was the um, Seventh Sons and the Iron Horsemen, and when I started asking questions about these fatal shotgun killings that happened in the parking lot in the 70s. I started giving like a lot of warnings from people like you don't want to mess with these guys. This is, this is just as bad as the mob back then. You need to stop asking questions. Um, so I didn't get very far, but we know that there was um, two fatal shotgun shootings in the parking lot there. With the, with uh, the bikers? With the bikers. With the bikers. Um, the locals that I interviewed said that when it was the hard rock, the locals called it the bloody bucket. Oh my because god! Because any given night, there were so many fights and good stuff going on there that there would always be a mop bucket of bloody water at the end of the bar there oh, at any cool. given time. Oh my god! Well, so there's so a... it got closed as a yeah, it was closed as a public nuisance on like January or February of '78, and that's when along came Bobby Mackey, this up and coming country singer who had to make a decision: either move to Nashville and start a career, or try to find your own club and stay home. Yeah. And uh, the story, you know, everyone knows the story picks up from there, but uh, he bought the club not knowing any of this history at all. And in the, in the beginning, he tried to squash all of the ghost stories because, you know, he said he had every penny in here and he couldn't have it fail. Yeah. So uh, well, there's a lot of history that came out that, that makes sense. I mean, there's been a long, long history of death on the property. Well, you know, and there's there's a lot of elements here that I've always found interesting when it comes to hauntings like this um obviously you discuss the history here a very bloody history it sounds like too uh a lot of a lot of heavy things went down you know obviously when it comes to murder and people harming each other there i i don't know if you agree with me or not on this dan but i think there's a lot of emotion behind that uh you got even if you have two rival bike gangs going and there's a lot of emotion there right uh People are wound up. They're angry. They're they're you know they want revenge, whatever it might be. And then it seems like you know Bobby Mackey steps in and he starts up a nightclub where there's music being played. Am I correct? I mean, just just so we can lay this out, right? This is what this yeah. is what was done. So um, you know, and we hear about haunted theaters so much. I mean, I, haunted theaters, haunted music halls to me are some of the most fascinating places. Uh, when it, when that you get these reports from. Because, you know, I've always been a big believer in, uh, you know, that music and art and things like that can leave an impression on an environment just as strongly as strong emotions can. Because I think the emotions when someone's playing music uh, that they've written or whatever it might be, they're leaving an, an emotional imprint in the environment also. So I wonder if, you know, these with all this history and then. You have art being, you know, being being performed there. If that's the the cocktail, right? Uh, that, that that has made this place what it is. You follow what I'm saying? I believe that too. I believe that that stuff stays behind. Um, that stuff stays in the environment. I mean, look at just walk into any operating hospital. It's just a regular old hospital. When you go in there, you people, everyone, most people are like, this place gives me the creeps. It's creepy because yeah. you can sense that grief and sorrow that's spilled in the environment. So that stuff stays behind, and that's when you get into the idea of, well, if these negative or evil things or demons or whatever are, exist, 
then what place would they be attracted to? That kind of negative energy, probably. Yeah. Um, well, I think a hospital, too. I mean, I know I've always said, you know, more joking, I, I can be having the greatest day of my life, but as soon as I walk into a hospital, I get an instant chip on my shoulder. Because <laughs> I just, yeah, I don't like yeah. being there. It's, it, it is. It's a tense environment. Uh, you know, people are frustrated. There's a lot of negative energy. You can feel it when you walk in there. You really can. Yeah, you could. Go ahead. You could go in blindfolded. I'm sure people would go. I should do that. Just, I'm sure people could go in blindfolded and just go. This does not feel right. There's it, something weird about this place. Yeah, it don't feel um, right. Yeah. 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 So I wonder if that's the same. I mean, to me, I mean, again, it's all theoretical. But I mean, it sounds like what the history of Bobby Mackey's and just what was done there afterwards. That's where a lot of this stuff may be coming from. But it sounds like this is really aggressive, though. I mean, this is a. I mean, I don't want to say the word violent, but from what you described. There's, you know, when you're having things actually appear in front of you and you're hearing audible voices, uh, there's got to be something else involved with this. I mean, I, I think that's what the what the the key to this is maybe too to try to understand it fully is there's got to be some other mix to this cocktail to make things so aggressive as they are. It sounds like Amber, what do you think? I yeah, I don't I don't know. I just, history and hauntings go hand in hand. So whenever you have that background of like like what Dan's been talking about, it just seems to lend itself to these strange events. Um but Dan, are people still I mean obviously that's still open as a nightclub, right? Yeah, he's open on weekends, yes. Okay. And would I mean you would take people in there for tours, but would people in there just watching, like listening to music, having a drink, would they be encountering things or bringing things home too? Well, you know, I started all back, wow, in the early, um, like late 80s, early 90s is the one that started to hit the scene. And that's when you started seeing, um, I think it was, jeez, uh, uh, Jerry Springer or Maury Povich. I can't remember what show he was on. Um, but there was a patron who claimed to be attacked in the bathroom and he claimed that a, a spirit appeared and uh, knocked him down and a trash can flew against him. And, uh, so when that happened, that's why that famous sign hangs at the entrance. Um, his lawyer suggested that they put a disclaimer at the entrance saying that the, uh, management was not responsible for any ghosts or spirits on the premises. Uh. <laughs> um, there have been physical attacks there for sure. I mean, I've witnessed them. So again, I don't know if it's, I don't know if we can say it's demonic, but it could be as simple as these are just old, like really aggressive entities, like from the mob days uh, or were killed in a mob hit. And the science of the property is really interesting as well, because um, if you've ever been there, you know, it's like a, there's a lot of unevenness in the parking lot. So what happened was in 1993, Bobby decided to build a new club. The old club was really dilapidated. He needed to build a new place. So they brought in these tons of uh, earth, uh, tons of top dirt to put in the parking lot. When they did, a giant crack opened in the, in the um, parking lot. Really? And when the Corps of Engineers came in, uh, I've actually seen the report he had. Uh, it, it's built on a fault line. So... Mm. They told him that he couldn't build a new a club there. He was stuck with the old club because the fault line uh, was just not stable. So it's built on a fault line. That's in the book I get into the possibility about some of the science. Maybe it just happens to be the perfect storm scientifically, you know. Um, like Dr. Uh, Michael Persinger, uh, 1975, he came up with the uh, tectonic strain theory had to do with um, earthquakes and things. That's nothing to do with ghosts at all, but the idea was certain formations in the Earth don't conduct any electromagnetism or any kind of energy by themselves. But when you put them under immense pressure on a fault line, they can create all kinds of stuff. Um, you can get electromagnetic fields, you can get uh, telluric currents, and all kinds of different things. That could be happening there at the club, uh, which is really interesting when you get into the story of Carl Lawson, the, the caretaker, who claimed to have fell under a demonic possession, and somehow his exorcism is on YouTube now. Um, uh, whatever he experienced there was real. I knew Carl when he was alive, um, and I'll tell you, whatever he experienced was real. But even then, there's layers to that onion as well, because 
he lived on the property as a caretaker for an extended period of time. And we know now, living on a fault line that produces telluric currents or these other kinds of energy, it can cause all kinds of problems for people that, that visit those areas. It can cause problems with pregnancies, which we've seen at, at Bobby Mackey's, um, early pregnancies, pregnancy problems. Uh, it can cause, eventually, if you're exposed long enough, there's evidence that it can cause auditory and visual hallucinations. Is that what Carl was witnessing? Uh, maybe. But he also told me stories about how um, he would know when they were around because he would feel like bugs crawling b- below his skin. This huh. is the kind of symptom that a person with um, schizophrenia would report. So was it all the science of the property? Was it all his schizophrenia that he possibly had undiagnosed? Um, was it a mixture of some of both of those things and real ghosts? It's a really fascinating question. But yeah. I'll tell you, whatever he experienced there, he, it was real to him. You know, and that's, I don't think it's just one thing. It can never, in nature, it's never just one thing. Like you were saying, Dan, it, it's probably, you know, and I was saying earlier, I, I referred to it as a cocktail. You're referring to it as a perfect storm. Um, yeah. I think it is a, a mixture of things in nature to make these things happen. And you know what? And this just may be what these experiences are or whatever they may be. They, like you just said, they could be a response to something, a force in nature, uh, where it, where you are, you go, like people involved become delusional. Uh, they start hallucinating and things like that. I mean, that can't be ruled out here. I mean, you know, and, and not to not to take any way, any, any, you know, anything to the story of this, because it's fascinating, but that's another piece of this too. And, you know, obviously trying to explain what happened here. Absolutely fascinating. You know, and one of the things, um, as far as, you know, evidence of the afterlife, I mean, we've just spent a half an hour talking about this. I am curious to know, you know, what, what do you think the best evidence could be? I mean, would it be something like this to you? What's, what's, what do you think your, I mean, best evidence that we have an afterlife could be? The one thing I keep being drawn back to is, is the voices, voice phenomenon, electronic voice projections. These are things that can be experienced by anybody um, with a, a, a multitude of different uh, techniques. Now, a lot of this stuff is, is subjective. It's someone's personal experience, and you can't recreate that. But these voices continue to come, even, even under controlled um, studies. And even when no radio signals can get into a Faraday cage box, these voices continue to come. In my estimation, that is the best evidence we have that, Something's going on, at least. Uh, and then when they're answering our questions or giving us insight as to what's happening right now, that that really, um, in my estimation, is the best evidence we have that um, some kind of consciousness survives yeah. the death of the physical body. You know, and from an analytical perspective, I agree 100%. And that's probably maybe not thinking about it until tonight. That's perhaps why I've been so attracted to, you know, EVP research and ITC research, especially. And that's always been, you know, dare I say, my favorite uh, area, you know, in studying the, you know, at least studying, you know, the paranormal and ghosts and things like that and spirits and entities. I've always been drawn Mm -hmm. to to ITC. And so have you also, Dan. Am I correct? As far as ITC is concerned. Um, you know, yeah, I have about the last, I don't know, about the last 13 years or so. Yeah. What, 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 I, I want to ask you, what, what exposure did you have to ITC to get you involved with it? If I may ask. Here's how it started. When I started doing this in 1995, I was a dumb teenager. I didn't know I, what I was doing, but I had experience in the house I grew up in. So I wanted to learn more. And back then we had nothing. You could use a compass for magnetic fields if you had one. Um, You would use what sounds outlandish nowadays, like baby powder on the floor trying to catch ghost footprints. And you would have these old recorders, uh, like an analog recorder where you have to have the little little mini tape that would change over every, like, 30 minutes in a recorder. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, the handheld, the giant ones. And um, I started to do that work, and I thought, wow, this is real. I had experiences, and then it got to the point where I said, okay, well, I'm a believer, so what now? Um, then I got to the idea of, like, why, how does this happen? 
Um, if it's happening in our reality, it has to be abiding by our laws of physics, right? Correct. And that was my thought for a long time, uh, even just to us a few years ago. Was if it's happening, it has to be abiding by our laws of physics, and we can understand it. Well, the more I do, I think the more we don't really understand physics 100. Uh, percent There's things that that we don't understand, and we, you know, even mainstream science is all theoretical. And um, yeah, well, I mean, the thing with the thing with disembodied voices, let's just call them that. Um, to me, I've heard, you know. Uh, pieces of evidence, artifacts that to, you know, you're, you're talking about physics and things like that. Um, taking on, you know, the idea here is that we're, we're hearing a disembodied voice uh, from some type of energy that we don't understand that no one understands. And I have heard, and we've recorded, we've been, we've, we have recordings of EVPs uh, let's, EVPs, and they actually take on the characteristics of their environment. If it's an echoey environment, these voices are echoey also. And that, to me, you know, is one of the most fascinating aspects. It's like, okay, whatever this is, it's interacting with our plane of existence. It's interacting with our world if it's coming from somewhere else, assuming it's coming from somewhere else. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, I've had the opposite as well. I've had the opposite where it could be nothing but an echo, and the voices you get have no echo at all. So, and we've seen, and we've experienced those too. I mean, vice versa. It's there's no, you know, there's no way to really pin it down. um, What exactly it is? I don't think either one of us know what it is. I don't think Amber knows what it is either. Um, But as far as ITC, what do you are you? You said you've been doing this for about thirteen years now, correct? So I got into the idea of like science and trying to prove it and then um, more into trying to use technology. ITC is just a broad term, you know, trying to use technology uh, for communication, but uh, it's, there's a lot of different, different branches and different things you can do. And I've kind of delved into a lot of the um, uh, video types and audio and and light. Uh, So, I mean, I've, Ran the gamut and a lot of different things. Okay, but what what are you currently working on? So currently, we were um, in while well, going into year three of um, looking at the the relationship between uh, voices and light. Uh, so we've been doing different projects, um, sound to light, and then turn light back into sound. Um, trying to use. Uh, sound as a as a signal carrier, sort of, uh, but but put it out into the environment silently in the form of light, and then recollect that light and look for any voices. So we've been trying to hone in on that now uh, and get some get get it to the point where we can do a real study on it. There has been some promising events that seem to be real, but we haven't done a real study on it yet. So. Mm-hmm. My theory is if we can find light, like voices in light, um, then that would be a whole new form of of voice, uh, and that would be something that it's. We know that um, these systems they're not able to impinge upon them. This is why, like the military uses this and can shine a laser across, you know, um, a mountaintop and give us, you know, and then they can collect that that laser and hear the audible message. Now, you can accept it, but you can't impinge upon it. So if we're able to prove that there's voices in light, that is something that even modern-day science can't refute. There's no way currently known as to how someone, someone would fake that. Um, so that's kind of what I'm working on currently. It's a big project. Um, it's taking a long time, but um, ultimately my hope is that if it uh, works the way we think it might, that you'd be able to run specialized devices um, and then all voices will become audible to the ear as voice phenomena in the future. And you wouldn't have to rely on um, devices to record them any, any longer. And do you think, I mean, as far as ITC and this, and this, what you're working on currently, I guess the question I like to ask people, because I study this stuff a lot too, is do, we, do you think we'll ever have a breakthrough in our lifetimes? Uh, just, just like the three of us here, do we? Do you think we'll really have a breakthrough in our lifetimes where we'll have 
this two-way, let's call it two-way communication with whatever these things are. Do you see that happening in our lifetimes? It's happening today. Um, This is an area where, oh gosh, years ago I thought, well, wow, this is real and I need to prove it. I I need to tell the world about this. Um, And like so many other researchers, I kind of changed my tune in the last four or five years and it's become much more about um, the personal journey. These things are happening. There's there's good groups that are, um, gosh, uh, Germany, Brazil, uh, New Mexico, Seattle. There's groups that are doing work, um, but the key to having it work um, is what we're told by the voices is um, – what we what we call like the the resonance of the group it's gonna go okay, we can get on the rabbit hole if you want but yeah um there are researchers out there um gosh maybe a hundred worldwide that are doing work uh in direct contact with with voices and with entities who claim to be part of a spirit team on the other side like it's a little weird but um, it's really happening. It's and not. It's, it's not weird, that. Dan. It's not weird. We've heard this exact same thing from other people. You know that, that you know we, that there are there is this idea of what you call a spirit team. There's people or like a conductor on the other well, side. Well, no, there's there's groups of spirits, people. I mean, they very well could just be people. They're just a different, but they're at a different vibrational level over there, right? Yeah. Um, but the work relies so heavily on the resonance and the um, uh, the cohesiveness of the group or yeah. the researcher that um, people are afraid to even uh, share publicly what's happening because they might break down the bridge. Um, like uh, I can tell you that I'm part of a group that's finally, after how many years of trying, um, successfully created uh, contact uh, with a so-called bridge to a spirit team. And it's so fragile and uh, the thing with this work also is how do you reproduce it? What works for you might not work for me. Uh, what works for one group might not work for another group. Yeah. And the more you do it, the more you realize um, fr- in a frustrating way that we're not really in, in charge of these at all. It doesn't matter what we do. It's more about how much um, of the attention we grab of the spirit team. What are your intentions? Are they pure? Um, and how do you overcome the the human element? So, well, I mean, group, what what what's what? Uh, go ahead, Dan. I'm sorry. Groups outside of just, just me and my experience um, have got these contacts that say the same thing. Um, that um, that their ability to reach us and send good contacts uh, relies on what they call the contacts field. Um, the contacts field apparently is made up of all of the energies of the participants in that group. This is why also so many people are going into solo work because it's so hard to keep um, resonance of a group of people to that level uh you can sometimes break down the bridge. So, so here's what they say. Uh, if you have good peer intentions, um, then, um, and you're, uh, at a high vibration that they can contact you. The problem with us is we're trying to live our daily lives. And, and if we have a day where uh, we woke up in the morning and stubbed our toe and then someone cut us off and then, um, you know, uh, we had to work late and you're angry. Um, you have to overcome those things and you have to somehow bring it back, uh, bring back your whole vibration, your whole, um, essence to a, a place that resonates with that spirit team. Yeah. And that's a very difficult thing to maintain over time. You know, and you've said this a couple of times, your intentions have to be pure. I, I need, I want to understand what that means because to me, I mean, if you're trying to contact these the the, the spirit team, right? Um, I mean, I, I personally would be doing it just for intellectual intake uh, and curiosity. Obviously, uh, I'm not much into proving things anymore. It's more like you were saying. I agree with that. It's more about my journey. 
about what I can learn here as a person about myself and about the world around me and the world outside of where I live now too. So I, I'm wondering what a pure intention really is. What what do they consider pure? That is, that is the question. Um, that is the question. And it makes me wonder if, if it isn't supposed to be a small community because groups that have tried to go uh, public or tried to grow into a movement have always lost some of the most amazing contacts uh, from groups over the years have been lost uh, due to even infighting. Like uh, groups can't, can't decide about whether, Hey, should we try to expose this to scientific scrutiny or not? And there's been some groups in the past that have been shut down and, and stopped because stop getting contacts, not because of that, but because of their bickering within that probably. And their, their harmony is gone because yeah. half the group thinks, Hey, we should take this to science and prove it. And the other half says, that's not what this is about. This is about trying to live our best life. And this is our own personal truth. And it's not something, and it's not something you can share with the world because if you don't experience it, it's again, it probably sounds crazy, but, but it happens and it's happening out there. Yeah. There are a couple of researchers that are doing well and have gone public. And if you real, if you look at them, um, it's only those who are doing individualized work. Yeah. Um, Hans Otto Honig in Germany is one example. He's been doing it for over 30 years. Um, We've talked about him before on the show here. Yeah, Koenig. Um, and, uh, you know, his devices, while they've been reproduced by other people, including me, it's it's doesn't always work for another group because it's about what resonates with his context. Um, uh, how do I explain it? So for example, okay, I, I, this is an example I'll use. Um, most of the time when I look at so-called ghost box communication, I look at this and say, Oh my God, this is trash. This is total bullshit. This is, this is paradoria. Uh, they're making stuff up. This is not real. But there are some people like Tim Wilworth or other people that seem to get real contact. And that works for them in a meaningful way. Um, so while that would work for him, it may not work for other people. Um, I mean, some voices, people could get voices through a coffee pot. I mean, it's not, um, uh, how do I explain it? So it's much more to do with the resonance and harmony of the researchers. And uh, you really have to let let the spirit team lead the way, which is totally bizarre and sounds um, anti-productive or counterproductive. But um, they'll contact you uh, yeah. if if you get their attention. They'll contact you through any means possible, and when it happens, it's amazing. You read my um, mind, Dan, because I was just going to ask about your opinions and thoughts on ghost boxes, because of course they're being sold everywhere. You can get stuff. Um, I mean, gosh. Well, we've had Tim on the show. Yeah, Tim was here recently. And there is one man in particular he does not like who uses ghost boxes on YouTube. And he tries to sell those things for, you know, 1500 or more on eBay. But you can pick up a ghost box anywhere now. But, yeah, I, I mean, have you ever had any yeah. luck with those things? Or they're just, like you said, they're just not for you? Um, they're just not for me. So what do you I've use? I've had a look at them at, at Bobby Mackey's. It's about the only place. Uh, and that was all negative. Okay. It was pretty so, so what kind of... Swear words, you know? Yeah. So what kind of setup do you use when you try for communication? So one of the best ways to do it is to um, create a signal and then recapture that. Um, so... Right now, looking at ultraviolet light um, modulated by crystals, uh, and then recapturing that light is what we're working on now. But you can, people can do this with um, a step that not a lot of them do. And the way you can do it is this: um, if you want to use transform EVP, which is becoming more popular again, you can use uh, programs like um, like EVP Maker used to be around. Echo Vox is used now where you can break up different pieces of sound and put them out um, through like, uh, this is the key though. People don't do this right. You have to put it out through a speaker um, and then you recapture that speaker into a microphone. So 
the idea is um, you put out this garbled mess of sound, uh, and if transform EVP were to happen, you would capture it back into the microphone. But when you put it out into the environment, it's somehow modulated into a voice um, that is meaningful and sounds like a word, and then that comes back in, in through the uh, microphone. So you more so, or less run a signal into you more or less run a signal into an amplifying device and you mic that amplifying device into your recording device, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, this is how researchers are doing it also. Um, and gosh, you can um, get results even when you're not in the room. Um, we've done this. We've, so, tr- we've tried this with, we, you know, many, many years ago, we tried experiments. We were doing reading up on things and people's approaches. And one of the things we tried to do was we just, I mean, literally Doug and I, one of the old hosts of the show, uh, we went to a flea market one weekend and just bought piles of old beat up radios. I mean, for a buck or two a piece, like just some old clock radio. Um, and our idea was to take, you know, a, a bunch of these radios, turn them all on to just noise, static, whatever it might be, mic the center of that field, and then and then put headphones, you know, the, obviously the mic's going to pick up all that noise, and we can hear that through the receiver, We through the, through actually through the, well, it would be, uh, it'd be the monitor we could, we could hear coming out, uh, and, and listen to all that noise. We had some interesting things happen, uh, most notably, it, a very draining effect we felt. I mean, you know, and that could have been very much us. If you're exposing yourself to just like, like that much noise and white noise and whatever it may be for hours at a time, I don't, I think you're going to get kind of just worn out. (laughs) I don't know if it's necessarily spirit wearing you down. I think it just kind of wears you out also. We had some very interesting things, but that was kind of the, some of the stuff that we tried in the past, though, which is similar to what you're talking about also. Yeah, and it's been done for a long time. Um, Sonia Rinaldi still does that in Brazil, uh, where she'll take calls from people trying to connect with spirit, and um, she just runs an extra landline telephone into a different room, and that room you know, the, the conversation is like an extra extension and through that extension, um, she'll, uh, have a microphone and, and capture voices that way. So that's one method that's been reproduced by several researchers that may be easy to be reproduced, but I'm telling you there's a lot of things that work for one person or one group that are never going to work for another, uh, group at all. Well, I think, I think everyone's different. I mean, there's just no way around that. This is obviously not an exact science. And the more that we talk about this, the more that this idea of just singular solitary research uh, works with me. Because l- let's be frank, I, I think I, this is after, over for me, coming from me with decades of experience in this, the group dynamic is a real pain in the ass. The group dynamic it seems like I, everything I've ever been a part of, you know, they always start out really, and I know this sounds a bit pessimistic, but I've worked in groups for whatever projects they may be. I mean, you, you name it. And they always start out pretty good. People are getting to know each other. And then for some reason, once everybody gets to know each other, that's when things start to get kind of funky and you get that negative, that negative energy involved. And that could be just trying to be productive with something. We're not talking about doing ITC research all the time, just trying to be productive. But if you get that negative energy into that, into that environment, things start to fall apart. And it seems like that's the biggest problem you guys are having with ITC research is just is the people aspect. Well, yeah, like Dan said, you lose the resonance. You lose the resonance, yeah. So it sounds yeah, like... Um, Go ahead. And, and ego is a big part of it, too. Um, uh, myself and really the people that I work with have gone down to almost almost nothing. Like, I uh, almost will never do, do interviews or conferences very rarely anymore just because we think that... Um, I don't know. That's a different dynamic that may affect what we're trying to do privately. Well, it is a different dynamic. And here's the, here's, it goes back to this idea that you were talking about, about the purity thing. Are your intentions pure? Um, We got done. I think, I think the purest of intentions we've already explained people that are in this, that want to understand that are trying to learn something, right? 
Um, look, I think we all, and it sounds like you went down the same road that I did, Dan. When I we started doing this stuff 300 years ago or whatever it was, uh, <laughs> we 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 did come out of the gate going, we're going to prove the existence of the afterlife. That's what we're going to do here. We're going to direct our energy to this, and we're going to prove the existence of the afterlife. But over time, I know I learned, and I and I I I still learning, but I'm at a point now where none of that. None of the, the goals, there are no goals. I mean, yeah, I'd like to discover something or see something. I have, and it's been fantastic. But really, to me, it is still just the, the adventure of this and the, and the journey of this, trying to get, you know, working with these ideas and working with, with ITC, for example. I think that's a pure intention. Not, um, we need to get this evidence so we can, I mean, I publicizing anything i mean you like you said a few minutes ago opening something up to scrutiny i know and you know um you could we could we could come up with the most amazing evidence we could and yeah it's gonna still get get holes punched through it by whatever source it is out there that you want to expose this to and that's why i just don't care about that stuff anymore i just care about what i'm gonna learn from this thing i mean i hate to sound so self-centered and selfish but it sounds like that may be the best way to study ITC is just in solitude without this contamination you could possibly you could possibly get from other people. You see what I'm saying? I think the solitary yeah. thing is the way to go. That's the best application, too, is trying to take these um, things we learn and apply it to, okay, how can I live my best life? Um, because... The, now, I have not received contacts, but I've had other groups have received contacts saying that our, you know, how, what our decisions that we make on a daily basis here affect our spiritual self there um, in real time. So, or some, uh, some drugs, they say, alter the spirit as well. Um, so even when we're in the physical body, if you're on drugs, that, they, that you can be altered on a spiritual level. That's the kind of stuff we need to learn about and and try to live our best life now and try to understand how we're affecting ourselves, how what we do now affects us later after the, after the body's gone. Well, yeah, you know, and I think a lot of people have a lot of ideas of what happens after our physical body stops working, right? Uh, and that's great. I, I want to hear all those ideas. But I think a lot of people are just so rooted in where we are now they're rooted in this physical existence this heavy gravity laden existence that we're in and you know i'm not i'm not all love and light i don't walk around like floating around myself but i i especially in the last you know year or so i really have been you know trying to tune more into my spiritual self uh and i you know it's so funny you say that dan because it always keeps coming back to this idea for me of it all roots back to, hey, man, you just got to be a decent person. You got you to gotta be a decent creature um, to your fellow person and anything else that we deem to be alive. Because uh, in the long run, that's going to benefit you. In, you just said it, too, even in your spiritual self. Uh, decisions you make in this plane of existence can, can affect your, your spiritual self on the other side, too. Um, and it all just kind of ties back into this idea of just quit being such a jerk off. <laughs> I don't know any other way to say it. Uh, yeah. but it all does tie to, I think it, you know, and that's, I've been saying this for years and I keep saying it, you know, on, on this show, uh, it, it all relates somehow, all this craziness that we talk about, all these ideas, um, they all are glued together somehow and what this idea we're talking about now really just drives that point home that, yeah, it is related that, you know, you don't just, you know, do a bunch of stuff on this side and then go to the other side and then do a bunch of stuff over there. There's two parts to you. You're not just you're not just flesh and bone. There's more to you than that. And I find that idea just so fascinating. Yeah. And that. And it's about your personal past, too. I mean, all that negative stuff I experienced really has led me to this enlightened and loving point of view. It really makes you wonder, like, hey, maybe this was all orchestrated by some spirit group to just 
bring us towards more. I, I don't know. It makes you wonder. Um, well, yeah, it does. It, it's it, and I believe you're you are put in that position that that uncomfortable negative place for a reason. You know, to help you grow and help you get better. Uh, yeah. a, a friend of mine said that we were. I was looking at Facebook the other day, and a friend of mine. You know, she. You know, I'm not. I'm not a big fan of the the belly aching on Facebook thing. I don't do it myself. But uh, th- this young lady was like, you know, this is happening, that's happening, and this is happening. You know, I should have just done this and you know, cast that check instead of giving it back to somebody and being honest about things. I, you know, it seems like all the you know all the the evil people are the ones that seem to get over and you know that and that going down that trip, right? And I actually went as far as to reach out to her and say, hey, listen. I know it's hard, but I, but I, I'm telling you, you got to believe this. You're being put in this position for a reason. You've been put here for a reason. You're in this spot for a reason, and that's to test you. Yeah. That's to help you grow. And you're gonna come out the other side of this a better person as long as you keep your integrity intact and you don't take the easy route. I think we both know, Dan, that you know it, it's. The hard route's always the right route, it, it, or I should say, the right route is always the hardest route. It seems like, um, you know, not, not to get. I'm sorry, I'm. I don't want to get too preachy here, but I mean, these all. <laughs> but I think all this stuff really does all tie together. I mean, and, and it, you know, I mean, it. I, I've been saying it for years too about this. Like, it's taken all these years to tr- of studying the afterlife to really understand how real life works, and you do understand things better. I think when you really get into this stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, what if we chose our path? So one of the most profound things I ever heard was a medium that suggested the idea of this. What if six million souls agreed to incarnate into a physical body in what we call Earth here, knowing that they're going to die terrible deaths, terrible deaths here on Earth? Six million of them chose to incarnate as Jewish people mm-hmm. who would die under Hitler in order to help this one spirit, Hitler, learn some profound lesson in one lifetime. And that kind of blew my mind. That's a heavy like, idea, man. orchestrated to help this one person learn 10 lifetimes of lessons in one, at once. That's a um, heavy idea. That is such really a profound. heavy idea. It's very profound. Um, and it makes you wonder, I mean, how important was that person? I mean, I, maybe it's not a matter of importance. Maybe it is a matter of, of, of look, every, every ball of energy out there has to learn. And sometimes, like we were saying before about these ITC stuff, um, we're all different. Some of us learn easier than others, I guess, <laughs> right? Some of us can pick it up the first time around. Some of us need to be hit with a baseball bat a few times to really get it into our head of what you have to do. So maybe it takes going on that idea that you're saying, Dan, um, maybe, you know, okay, we've run him through this over and over and, oh, he's just not getting it or whoever it is that they're not getting it. We know what we're talking about here, but uh, they're not getting it. We need to do something huge for this one this one soul to understand what the hell yeah. the program is here. Yeah, so yeah, so, yeah, you're probably, maybe you're right. Who knows? Ghostly talk. <laughs> Hello, check areas. Go ahead and talk. Hi, I'm excited to eat some turkey chili.